If you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to open to Luke chapter 2, but not the beginning of chapter 2. We'll be in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. And let me just say this. I uh, grew up as a church kid. My dad has served as a pastor, an elder in his church uh, ever since I was pretty young. I've sat through a lot of Christmas services. I've heard a lot of stories about Mary and Joseph. I've heard a lot of sermons about shepherds and wise men and angels and King Herod. And I have, I realized this a few weeks ago, I have never in my life heard a sermon at Christmas time on this passage that I'm about to preach. And don't worry, it's not some crazy passage. It's part of the birth story of Jesus. He's about six weeks old when this story takes place. I didn't choose something out of like Revelation chapter 13 or something like that. It's a Christmas passage, I promise you. But I just realized I've never heard this passage taught on before. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to pray over our time. And you all can pray for me because I've never preached this passage, nor have I ever heard it preached before. So pray that God would speak exactly what he wants to speak to all of us tonight. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time that we can gather together. We thank you for what this season means, what this Christmas holiday means, that Jesus, our Savior, was born, that God became a man so that we who were lost and estranged from him could be brought into the family of God through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. God, I pray for myself that you would guard my lips, help me to only teach that which is in line with the truth of your word. And God, for each and every one of us, would you give us soft and teachable hearts that we might grow closer to Jesus in whose good name we pray. And everyone said, amen. All right, we're gonna dive into Luke 2, verse 22. And you're gonna see some different characters. You're gonna see the young parents Young, wide-eyed Joseph and Mary, just absolutely awestruck at what's happening. You're going to see an old man named Simeon. And we're going to see an even older woman named Anna. And the thing I want you to watch for as we read these verses together is their reaction to this Christ child, to this Messiah. So starting right in verse 22. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they, this is talking about Joseph and Mary, They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, what is going on in these verses? Joseph and Mary have have recently welcomed their son. Mary has given birth, uh, the, the son, Jesus, his name is called Jesus. It was a divine birth. He's prophesied by the angel to be the son of God. Joseph is his adoptive father. You can even call him uh, that, that type of title. And so here he is, the time of purification has happened. This is 40 days after the child is born. So this is about six weeks old. I know we've got our kids in the room with us. Actually, Pastor Travis, how old is Rem- Remington who just had to leave? About six weeks old? almost six weeks old. I'm really bummed that he left because you could have come up and held him as an illustration for the sermon here. A six-week-old baby. So you have to imagine Joseph and Mary are getting exactly none sleep and they're a little tired, they're a little exhausted, but we can see a couple of things really clearly from these verses. The first thing is this, that even though they are young parents, likely late teens, early 20s, even though they're tired, they're exhausted, they have a brand newborn infant They have their priorities straight because what do they do? 
They follow God's will. They obey the law of the Lord. If you look back in the Old Testament scriptures, God has given certain commandments. If you look in the book of Leviticus chapter 12, for example, there's instructions that are given for uh, parents to dedicate their firstborn child to the Lord. And there's also for a mother who has recently given birth, there's certain ceremonies and rituals that they would go through of cleansing. Now, they went to Jerusalem. They didn't have to go to Jerusalem. My guess is because they were in Bethlehem, it's close to Jerusalem. It's about, I don't know, you know, less than an hour's drive south of where Jerusalem's at. They said, hey, let's go to Jerusalem. Let's go see the big temple. Let's go and offer these sacrifices as the Lord has commanded us to do at the temple. The other thing we can learn from this passage is that Joseph and Mary were poor. If you go back and look in the book of Leviticus, it actually says that the sacrifice is supposed to be a sheep. But what do they offer? They offer two turtle doves or two pigeons. There's a, a, an exemption clause, if you will, in the book of Leviticus. It says you're supposed to offer a lamb, sacrifice a lamb, but if you're poor, you can give two turtle doves. So here Mary and Joseph are wanting to follow God's way and they're obviously poor. But the third and the, and the most important thing that we can see from these verses is this, that Jesus' birth is connected to a much larger, much longer story. The birth of Jesus isn't some accident that just happened in human history. The birth of Jesus isn't something that we now can conveniently look back on and say, well, that was an important historical figure, wasn't it? No, we can see that the birth of Jesus is connected to a story that predates his birth by thousands of years. When we read these verses about sacrifices and the time of purification, the, the majority of us, I'm going to guess, are not uh, Orthodox Jews. We don't traffic in these types of ideas very often. For us, we look back and think, what does all this have to do with the birth of Jesus? Well, here's what it has to do with the birth of Jesus. It has to do with the fact that God was setting up his birth for literally thousands of years. That, that God created the heavens and the earth. He created things perfect and beautiful but our first parents, Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. They, they chose to live life on their own terms to say, we don't need to submit to God's rulership. We want things to be our way. And so there was a fall. And the Bible would say that all of mankind was, was headlong cast into sin. And we needed a rescuer. We needed a redeemer. And so God made a promise to a man named Abraham. And he said, Abraham, through your offspring, I am going to bless all of the people of the earth. I'm going to use your descendants, your, your offspring. They're going to become a great nation. And that, that group of people is what we refer to as the Jews. We refer to as the nation of Israel, that God used them to give us Jesus, this savior, this one who is Christ the Lord. And so we see that Jesus' birth is not just some accident. It isn't just some historical anomaly. It was planned by God thousands of years in advance, a few hundreds of years before Jesus' birth, the people of Israel, they had sinned, they'd been in exile, and they were crying out, God, when will you rescue us? When will you let us come back to our homeland? And God spoke a prophecy to a man named Malachi. And the, the prophet Malachi said in chapter three, he said, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And I wonder if Mary and Joseph had any idea at all as they carried this little six-week-old baby into the temple, that they were seeing the fulfillment of that 400-year-old prophecy. What do you think? 
I just imagine Mary and Joseph, you know, young parents, new parents. We've all seen that kind of half-glazed look on young parents' face. They're in a strange city. This is probably the first time together going into the temple. This is all just overwhelming for them. Actually, if you look ahead a little bit in verse 33, I believe it is, it says that, that Joseph and Mary just marveled at the things that were being said to them. So here we have Mary and Joseph and their reaction to Jesus, his birth, to coming into the temple. Their reaction is wonder and awe. Now we get to meet our second character, Simeon, the old man. And by the way, it doesn't say how old Simeon the old man is. So if you are here with your father, no jokes, okay? So, now there was in Jerusalem a man whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. I'll explain that more in a moment. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So we can see a couple things about Simeon. We can see that he's older. How do we know that he's older? Because he's contemplating death. God had actually spoken to him that he would not see death before he had the opportunity to see the promised Christ or the promised Messiah. Christ is a New Testament Greek word. Messiah is the Old Testament Hebrew word. They're the same. They mean the king or the anointed one. So here's this this older man named Simeon. And you kind of get this picture that his job is to just go to the temple all the time and pray. It says he's righteous and, what's the word sound city? He's righteous and devout. That means devoted. That means he's faithful. That means he doesn't just get excited about, oh God, when are you going to send the Messiah? And then next week he's like, you know what? Gladiator games. That's got my attention right now. He's devoted. He's he's single-minded. He's focused. He's faithfully seeking the Lord. When do I get to see this Christ? When do I get to see the one who is the Messiah? And it says that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. That phrase is just amazing because if you look back in the Old Testament again in the prophet Isaiah, I believe it's nine different times that phrase is used that God would bring comfort to his people, Israel. The nation of Israel had all sorts of troubles. They had wars, they had conflicts, they had economic injustices, they had leaders in place that a lot of people didn't like. Again, it's totally different from our day and age. Uh, But just try to imagine living in a country where there was political turmoil, economic turmoil, even racial tension. And God has promised that when the Messiah comes, when the Christ comes, it would be a comfort. There would be consolation. So Simeon is hanging in the temple, waiting, praying. Now he sees Joseph and Mary, and we're going to see in verses 27 and following uh, what's known as, as, as the Nunc Dimittis. It's kind of a song that he begins to sing. And so s- the song of Simeon has three parts, and I'll, I'll point them out as we go. But here's, here's how it starts again in verse 27. It says, He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. See, People have been grabbing babies from new parents for thousands of years at church. It's just a tradition. So uh, if you're a a new parent who's just, you know, it's my baby, just grab tight because it's coming, okay? (laughs) Simeon grabbed the child Jesus. He blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace 
according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Let me pause here for a moment. Simeon was promised by God to get to see the Messiah before he dies. Advent is for us as Christians a season of longing, a season of expectancy, waiting, even, even right now. Let me, let me ask a question for all the kids in the room. How many of you are really excited for Christmas morning tomorrow, right? Okay, lots of hands went up. That's good. I think that's the first 100% I've ever gotten on a poll. Is it, is it there yet? Is it there yet? In my house, uh, my, my, my kids, we have this little kind of hokey wooden Christmas tree thing and there's these little blocks and you can spin them and you can do a countdown, the numbers of the number of days until Christmas. And my kids like, quite literally have gone to blows over who gets to count down the numbers. They're so excited for Christmas to come. I want you to imagine this, this older man, Simeon, that longing, that eagerness, that expectancy. God, you said... God, you said I would get to see your Messiah. You said I would get to see the Christ before I die. God, I don't know if you've noticed, I just keep getting older, not younger. And so when's it gonna happen? And it happens. And here's Simeon with his heart full of joy. He blesses God and he says a couple of things. The first thing he says is, my eyes have seen your salvation. Notice that when Simeon grabs the child, he doesn't say, God, I have seen the cutest baby in the whole wide world. God, I have seen a symbol of great peace amongst conflict. And he says, I have seen your salvation. Simeon knew that no matter what problems people are dealing with in life, no matter what problems a nation may be dealing with, the most important issue that needs to be addressed is the issue of salvation. That apart from God's grace, we have all sinned. And our sins deserve a penalty. Our sins deserve judgment. God is a righteous God. God is a holy God. God is a just God. And so apart from his salvation, apart from his grace, we deserve that judgment. But God was not content to let judgment have the last word because God is also a God of great mercy. And so he offered his son Jesus, this this baby to be born, to come and to be the salvation for all who would believe. And so I ask you tonight, friends and family, uh, people who are part of Sound City, guests who are visiting with us, I ask you this, this question. It's the same question I ask every single Sunday. Do you know that Jesus is your salvation? Have you trusted in him? Have you repented of your sins? Said, God, I know I have fallen far short of your standard, but I'm thankful that in Jesus, there is a way for there to be salvation. There's a way for my sins to be forgiven. Have you trusted in Jesus? The second thing that that Simeon says here, he says it's for all people. He says it's a glory for Israel, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That's just a word that means all the other people in the world who aren't Jewish. He said this is happening in the presence of all people. Friends, this is great news for us because guess what? In the Pacific Northwestern quarter of North American continent, we're the Gentiles. We're the ones that God said that he would bless through Abraham's descendants. And that all peoples literally means all peoples. That God's salvation is available to 
any who would trust in Christ Jesus. I, I've, I've been around people long enough, myself included, to know that, that there are times when we look at this gift of God's grace and we think, well, you know what? I just need to get a little bit more holy first. I just need to get a few things cleaned up in my life and then I'll come to Jesus. I just need to get this, this, this thing, this mess figured out and then I'll entrust myself to God. No, the, 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 the point of the gospel is it's not up to us. It's based on his grace, not on our efforts. It's based on his mercy, not our works. And so if you're here tonight and you think that you're too far gone, you're outside of the reach of God's grace, I'm here to tell you with all the love in my heart, you are really, really wrong. God's grace is for you. God's love is for you. God's mercy is for you. Simeon's song continues, and it, it takes a little bit of a, of a tonal shift, right? Uh, it, it, it's been in a major key, and now it goes into the minor. It, it has been, have yourself a merry little Christmas, and now it's going to go into, what child is this? Notice how the tone shifts. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Notice how he's addressing Mary in this. That parenthetical statement in there is, directly for here, but, but setting that aside for just one moment, look at what he says. He says, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many. And there's going to be opposition because the intentions of people's hearts is going to be revealed. Friends, you need to understand something about Jesus. Jesus did come to bring peace on earth. Jesus did come to bring reconciliation to the Father. Jesus did come to demonstrate God's love and grace and mercy to all who would believe. But you need to understand this, that there is something about the gospel of Jesus Christ, which has an inherently divisive element to it. Jesus is, 2,000 years later, still incredibly controversial. You can, you can love him, you can worship him, or you can reject him or even despise him. But the one thing you cannot do with Jesus is remain neutral. Jesus himself didn't give that option. Jesus represents a crossroads. Jesus said himself, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. What Jesus is, is essentially saying is, you have to die to everything that you think and everything that you want in order to follow me and in order to really gain true life. Jesus said all sorts of controversial things. Jesus, the most loving, gracious, merciful person who was ever born, faced opposition all the way through his life. Friends, the, the gospel does put us at a crossroads the rising and the falling of many. And side note, listen to what he says to Mary. I think it's interesting that Simeon speaks only to Mary. Those of you who are familiar with the, the story in the New Testament, you know that Joseph just kind of disappears from the story, doesn't he? We don't really see him much after this moment here. Most scholars and, and, and Bible commentators believe that Joseph likely died sometime during 
Jesus' maybe adolescence, early adulthood, before Jesus entered into his public ministry. He's speaking to Mary because he knows that Mary will one day be standing alone watching this baby boy, the six-week-old baby boy that she's holding. She'll see him nailed to a Roman cross and she'll be standing there alone and her heart will break in two. This term for a sword will pierce your heart. It's, it's like a broadsword. It's a, it's a powerful, this isn't like a little pinprick. This is a heart that is devastated. You can't celebrate the birth of Jesus without talking about his death. Jesus, the child, the Christ child, the Messiah, he came in order to die on a Roman cross in our place for our sins. He said it himself that I came to lay down my life for the ransom of many. So there's this dark note in there, isn't there? This is, this is a sad moment. We, we like the happy thoughts on Christmas. We want everything to be up and joyous and you know, joyful and triumphant. We want both, not just one. We want both. But here we see within the very Christmas story itself, within the Christmas message itself, is the fact that Jesus came to die. And friends, I, I don't, it's not an exaggeration. I don't think I'm going too far out on a limb to say that in this room right now, there are people who are dealing with all sorts of brokenness, all sorts of pain, all sorts of sorrow, all sorts of hurt. And I can tell you, not on my own authority, but on the authority of the word of God, that Jesus knows, Jesus understands, and Jesus cares. Jesus has gone through the worst suffering imaginable, laid down his life on a cross, separated from his heavenly father so that we would never be separated. And this is a beautiful song. We see one more character that shows up after, after uh, Simeon is speaking to them, picking up in verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, giving us some family history. I'm, I'm guessing it's because she was probably well-known. She's a prophetess. She seems like she comes into the temple regularly. And now here's what it says. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. Now the Bible does what I just told you not to do and name someone's age specifically, okay? This was inspired by the Holy Spirit. You're not, so just... You wait for, okay? I actually, the Greek is a little bit unclear. It could be that she is 84. It could also be that she has been a widow for 84 years, which means it would put her somewhere in the range of 105, 108 years old. She is an older lady, okay? She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So she, she hangs out at the temple, this older woman, this is, this is what, you know, in the churches of my youth, you'd call her, she's a prayer warrior, right? She's a prayer warrior. She's there, she's on her knees praying all the time. And coming up at that very hour, so right at that moment when Simeon and Joseph and Mary are all connecting, that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. I love this reaction, her reaction, first of all, besides the prayer and the fasting night and day, her reaction is first, worshiping God, and second, evangelism. 
Jerusalem is sitting on top of a hill. She's literally the first one after the birth of Jesus to go tell it on the mountain. She's, she's can't contain her joy. She can't contain her excitement. The Messiah is here. The Christ is here. There's this totally like glazed eyed looking young parents here. And there's this other young whippersnapper, Simeon, who's here. And I've been here for 84 years worshiping Jesus. He's here. I got to go tell somebody. I don't know how many days I got left. This is exciting. Like I, I, would, I would love to hang out with this lady. We see that this is the reaction that's just born of a heart of love for God. She's a deeply devoted woman of God. She sees the Messiah. She instantly goes to worship and to telling it to everybody she can possibly speak to. She began to speak to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So let me, let me just recap briefly. As we, as we walk through this story, we've seen everybody has a reaction. Joseph and Mary, their reaction is wide-eyed wonder. I, I would, if I was translating, I would just say kind of like stupefied. Or if Pastor Travis was doing it, it'd be gobsmacked or something like that, right? Some Texasism. You see, Simeon, his reaction is one of just, first of all, faithful, devoted, steadfast, waiting, and then praise and worship unto God. And we see Anna's reaction is one of evangelism and sharing the good news. So let me ask you, What's your reaction to encountering Jesus, his arrival? Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers, he, he said this. He said, wherever Jesus comes, with whomsoever he may come in contact, he is never without influence, never inoperative, but in every case, a weighty result is produced. There is about the holy child Jesus a power which is always in operation, He is not set out to be an unobserved, inactive, slumbering personage in the midst of Israel, but he is set for the falling and the rising of the many to whom he is known. Never, here it is, never does a man hear the gospel, but he either rises or falls under that hearing. So let me ask you, what's your reaction to Jesus? We see Simeon and Anna, they're waiting for Jesus first coming, his, his birth. We, we titled this sermon series we're doing A Tale of Two Advents because we find ourselves now waiting for his promised return. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, are you, are you wide-eyed and mystified like Mary and Joseph? Are you faithful and devoted waiting for the return of Jesus like Simeon? Are you telling it on the mountain, sharing it with everybody who will possibly listen like Anna? For those of you here tonight who are not Christians, what do you hear when you hear about this child? What is your reaction? Because the one thing that Jesus doesn't allow for is no reaction. He's here. He's coming again. That's very good news. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this story. Thank you for this, um, this glimpse, God, this, this lesser known part of the Christmas story. God, I I ask and pray that these words would sink down deep into our hearts and that you would enable us to respond now to Jesus. God, through the various ways that we're going to respond, help us to respond. And Jesus, I pray for all of us to have a closer encounter with him tonight. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. Amen.
Church, I'm going to invite you to respond in a few ways. The first way we're going to respond is with the giving of our tithes and offerings. Um, I, I know and recognize we have a, a good number of family and friends here, so I just want to point out you're not under any obligation to give, but if you would like to, you're welcome to. We don't want this to be um, any sort of pressure or anything like that, but this is something that we do as a way of worshiping God. And so if the financial stewards would go ahead and collect the offering, and then in a moment, they're going to pass out the elements for communion. And let me just say this up front. Communion is something, a celebration for Christians. Uh, If you're a Christian, even if you're a guest or a visitor, you're welcome to join with us in the celebration of the Lord's table. If you're not a Christian, tonight would be a good opportunity either to abstain and just reflect on this message of Jesus or even better, give your life to Jesus. Receive that grace that I've spoken of and, and join with us around the table. While they're collecting the offering and as they go to pass out the elements, let me read a few questions. We, we do these things called community groups. And uh, I don't know what everybody's doing this week as far as gathering together with the holidays, but my hope and prayer is that you would have some time together as a community to discuss what we've talked about. Here's a few questions to help kind of get the conversation going. Why do you think that we don't often hear the story of Simeon and Anna included in many of our Christmas traditions? Why is this story included in the Bible? What's it there to teach us? Number two, when you consider your reactions to Jesus, where do you desire to grow? In in awe and wonder, in faithfulness, praise, or, or sharing? And number three, you can't celebrate the birth of Jesus without also looking to his death and resurrection. How is this truth challenging to you? How is it encouraging? And how does it shape your faith? And then a couple of things to pray about. We love to be people of prayer. I want us to grow as people of prayer in this next year. Amen? People of prayer like like Simeon and like Anna. So here's some things to pray. First of all, just thank God for the amazing gift that we have in Jesus. And second, pray that we would be people who are marked by the wonder of Mary and Joseph, the faithfulness of Simeon, and the evangelism of Anna. I'll read from 1 Corinthians 11. I, I mentioned the Lord's table, and this is an invitation for all of us who are about to partake. They're gonna hand out the elements here. 1 Corinthians 11 says this, The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then there's an opportunity for reflection. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Unworthy manner means just an unexamined life. Nobody is coming here tonight perfect. We all have sins of which we need to repent. But whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And while they're finalizing, passing those elements out for you, I want to lead us through a group prayer, a group prayer of response. You can go ahead and throw that first slide up there. There's, there's going to be three slides. And what I'll do is, is I'll read the first two slides. And then on the third slide, I'd like to invite you to read along with me out loud, if you would. This is a few hundred year old prayer. It's a Puritan prayer, so it's got some good old fashioned vows and thines and things that, you know, forget, forget those old fashioned words sometimes. But I invite you to pray this prayer along with me from the heart, and then we'll begin our time of celebrating the Lord's table and and singing. I'll read these first two. O source of all good, 
What shall I render to you for the gift of gifts, your own dear son? Herein is wonder of wonders. He came below to raise me above. He was born like me that I might become like him. Herein is love. When I cannot rise to him, he draws me near on wings of grace to raise me to himself. Herein is power. When deity and humanity were infinitely apart, he united them in indissoluble unity, the uncreated and the created. Herein is wisdom. When I was undone with no will to return to him and no intellect to devise recovery, he came. God incarnate to save me to the uttermost as man to die my death, to shed satisfying blood on my behalf, to work out a perfect righteousness for me. And I'll invite you all to read this out loud with me. Let me with Simeon clasp the newborn child to my heart, embrace him with undying faith, exulting that he is mine and I am his. In him, you have given me so much that heaven can give no more. Father, I pray for this time of response now. God, as we celebrate the Lord's table, would we be reminded that Jesus, the the Christ child, was born to die in our place and to rise again for our salvation. And as we lift our voices in song, may there be joy in our hearts and joy in our lips. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Church friends, I invite you to celebrate the Lord's table. And as the band is singing, begin to stand to your feet and join with us and sing along. Merry Christmas, Sound City.